We have been discussing these past weeks subjects that are of vital interest to many today. Subjects that are sometimes troubling. Subjects about which there is much confusion. And as we announced last Lord's Day, this morning we want to talk about the thought or the idea of speaking in tongues. Specifically, our concern this morning is to know whether or not it is possible for people today in the 21st century in 2015 to be able to speak in tongues. Because this has long been featured as a major doctrine among some religious groups. And the real issue concerns these modern day cases of speaking in tongues. Are they real? Or are they imagined? Does the Holy Spirit today come into a person in the same way that it did in apostolic times? Is this phenomenon a spiritually excited person uttering nonsensical syllables in a semi-hypnotic state? Is that all it is? Is it real? Is it delusional? At the very beginning this morning, let's start our study of the Scriptures with the scene as Jesus is preparing to leave the earth. He's planning to leave the earth and leave the apostles behind to establish His kingdom. They are to proclaim the gospel to the whole world. And He promises that He's going to send the Holy Spirit to guide them and to help them. Listen to what Jesus said. It's in Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. When they deliver you up, Take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak, for it is not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Closer to His departure, Jesus had this to say about the Holy Spirit. We'll be reading from John chapter 16, the first Eight verses and then verse 13. These things, Jesus said, have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God a service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. 
And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The final paragraph of Mark's gospel account gives the great commission that Jesus gave. He said, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. The last expression there, folks is the key expression in this whole matter. Confirming the Word with signs following. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to guide the apostles in their teaching. The Holy Spirit provided miraculous acts to confirm the word that they preached. We read in the New Testament, in John 3 and verse 34, of Jesus having the Holy Spirit without measure. And then the New Testament speaks of others who received the Holy Spirit in different levels, in different measures. We read in here of those that were baptized with the Holy Spirit, receiving the baptismal measure. Others received the miracle-working measure of the Holy Spirit. All who became Christians received the ordinary measure of the Spirit. I want us to look at these different workings of the Spirit again. On Pentecost, in Jerusalem that day, the apostles received the baptismal measure. I want you to listen to Acts chapter 2, the first four verses. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. How well do you remember English class from school? Do you remember what an antecedent is? An antecedent is a substantive word referred to by a pronoun. 
Remember the Bible was not written in chapters and verses and divisions. So if you begin reading at the close of the first chapter, it says it's talking about the apostles, and they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. The passage refers to the apostles. The apostles are the antecedent of the pronoun they that is in the first passage. Notice something else especially in that passage too. Do you see anywhere in those first four verses that on the day of Pentecost that the apostles spoke in unknown tongues? The tongues that were spoken that day were not on unknown tongues. They were rather real languages known by people that lived in other parts of the world. Let's continue reading in verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and the parts of Libya around Cyrene and Strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Now make no mistake about it. The miracle that you see performed on this occasion, is a tremendous miracle. And it was especially suited to this great multitude to convey to them who heard Peter and the other apostles preach that they were indeed the spokesmen for God. But they were not unknown tongues. Every man that was there heard in his own Native language. That means, beloved, that the apostles spoke that day in real languages. Languages which they had never studied and learned in the ordinary way. And the multitude that was assembled there that day was impressed by this authentication of the message. They were so impressed that 3,000 of them were obedient and became Christians that day. The purpose of that miracle was to prove that God was with these men in their preaching that day. There's only one other time in the New Testament that we read of the baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit and that's in connection with the conversion of Cornelius. Peter was shown a miracle. 
that the Gentiles were to be welcomed in the Lord's church. And Peter went to the household of Cornelius, and he preached there in Caesarea. And while Peter was preaching in the house of Cornelius, he was interrupted. I'm in Acts chapter 10 and verse 44. While Peter yet spoke these words, while Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on them that heard the word. And those of the circumcision, the Jews that believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Spirit as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. For a Jew to eat with the Gentiles. And then for a Jew to baptize Gentiles. In that far off day and time it was unheard of. So guess what? Peter has gone and eaten with those Gentiles. He's preached to those Gentiles. He's baptized those Gentiles. And when he gets back to Jerusalem, he's got some splaining to do, as they would say. He had to answer the brethren in Jerusalem that were disturbed by his actions. You ate with those Gentiles, Peter. You baptized those Gentiles. Tell us why. Explain it to us, Peter. Peter's defense is in Acts chapter 11. Verse 15, he says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Only twice, only twice in the New Testament do we read of the baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and at the household of Cornelius was the Spirit poured out and the people spoke in tongues showing God's endorsement or God's approval of what was going on. Nowhere else, anywhere in this book, there is no further record of the baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit anywhere else in the Bible. So we can conclude that the experience on Pentecost and the experience at the household of Cornelius was indeed a unique experience. And since there is no further record of it anywhere in the New Testament, we can also conclude it's something that has not been continued down to our present day and time. Well, there's also the miracle-working measure of the Spirit. When the Lord left the earth, He needed messengers to proclaim His gospel to mankind. He needed some way to make that message believable. And so Jesus gave His apostles special power. They were to convey to others the ability to work miracles. They were able to do that. And it was something that was done by the laying on of the apostles' hands. We've got a number of examples of that in Scripture. 
When Philip preached down in Samaria, there were a number of people that were converted to Christ. But not being an apostle, Philip had no power to lay hands on those people in Samaria. Philip could not convey to those people in Samaria the miracle working power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 14. Now when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Another example of the miracle working measure of the Spirit is in Acts chapter 19. It's in Acts 19 that Paul teaches twelve men at Ephesus more fully the way of the Lord. And then he conveyed this power upon them. Here's the reading in Acts 19 and verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. In order to advance the cause of Christ, and in order to confirm the message being preached, a select number of Christians received the laying on of the apostles' hands. This was done so that they could work miracles. And that thereby that would cause people to believe their preaching of the gospel. But did you notice something? This miracle working power came exclusively with the laying on of the apostles' hands. Philip preached in Samaria. Philip converted people to Jesus But the apostles had to come from Jerusalem and lay their hands on these people for them to receive the Holy Spirit. When the apostles died, this miraculous power was extinct within one generation. Not since the days of the apostles has this power been conveyed to others. Miraculous power was a part of God's plan at the beginning of the period of the church. It was to show His approval and His endorsement of the preaching of the gospel. And in order to do that, He allowed His spokesman to have this miraculous power. But it was not God's plan to continue this throughout the Christian era. The writings of the Apostle Paul clearly show that miracles were to cease. Let's take a look at what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. It's going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Down to verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now to verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another 
the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one, and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Notice in this passage it mentions nine gifts. The word of wisdom. The word of knowledge. Faith. Gifts of healing, the working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, diverse kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. These were gifts that the Holy Spirit provided for the Christians at Corinth on whom the Apostle Paul conveyed this power by the laying on of apostolic hands. Now toward the end of that chapter in verse 28, here's how Paul continues. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then the gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now notice how it continues. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. Do you notice? Notice the strong emphasis on love as it is contrasted to the miraculous gifts the Holy Spirit has provided. The gifts were to serve a necessary purpose, no doubt. But the deep, permanent, lasting part of Christianity was love. Shortly after that, in this same passage, down in verse 8, Here's what Paul writes. Love never fails. Where there be prophecies, they shall fail. Where there be tongues, they shall cease. Where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now down to verse 13. And now abide of faith, hope, and love, these three, But the greatest of these is love. In other words, there is going to come a time, Paul says, when spiritual gifts are no longer needed. When miraculous gifts are no longer needed. When the full, complete revelation of the gospel of Christ is made known. When the church has been fully established. When the miracles had been performed authenticating the gospel. When all of this had been written down in a permanent record. Remember the words of John? We talked about them in Bible class. John 20, 30 and 31. Many other signs did Jesus in the presence of the apostles that are not written in this book. But these are written, why are they written, John? That you might believe and that believing you might have life through His name. 
the miracles of the Holy Spirit were provided to authenticate the gospel of Christ, the spoken word. Their purpose having been served, they are no longer needed and therefore ceased. We can see this maybe more fully if we ask, did Christ need to be crucified and rise from the dead again and again, year after year, down through the centuries? And you'd look at me like I had lost my ever-loving mind and say, well, of course not. That supreme miracle of Jesus dying and being raised from the grave, that supreme miracle was performed once for all time. Beloved, with the complete testimony of competent witnesses in the Scriptures, it does not need to be performed year after year or century after century because it serves for all time. And we have the inspired record of it right here. And so it is with all the other miracles. We believe that we have shown that all miraculous acts performed by the agency of men are not needed at all. Because they have served their God-given purpose. Well, what about tongues? What about tongues today? Well, since all of these miracles have performed their God-given purpose, that would mean that speaking in tongues, along with all these other miracles, is now obsolete. It has completed its usefulness. But let's look a little further. Look specifically at the New Testament books. There are eight writers of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, Jude, and James. Those eight men together wrote 27 books that we call the New Testament. Twenty-one of those books are letters to individual Christians, churches, and groups of churches. The Apostle Paul wrote either 13 or 14 of those letters, depending on whether you feel that Paul wrote Hebrews or Paul did not write Hebrews. In this book, there are 27 churches. You can go through and check it if you want to. There are 27 churches mentioned by name in the New Testament. Paul. Paul is the only writer that ever discussed the gift of speaking in other tongues. And Paul did not write one word on that subject to the church at Rome, Ephesus, Colossae, Thessalonica, Philippi, or the churches of Galatia. He wrote a letter to every one of those churches and not one time did he say one word about the gift of speaking in tongues. When he wrote his letters to Timothy and Titus and Philemon, 
Paul did not mention the subject of speaking in tongues. John wrote five books of the New Testament. John does not mention the gift of speaking in tongues in any of the five books that he wrote. Even Peter, the spokesman on Pentecost, who evidently had the gift of tongues, did not mention the subject in the two letters that he wrote. Beloved, if tongues and tongue speaking, if that was an essential part of the Christian experience, or if it was something that was to be perpetuated in the church of the Lord's people, doesn't it seem a strange omission that none of it said about any of those writings? Now, have you ever noticed what Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 14? Remember in chapter 12, Paul outlined the nine miraculous gifts. Then in chapter 13, he points out that those gifts are going to cease. And it's then he deals specifically with the miraculous gift of tongues. Because it was available to certain Christians during that first Christian generation. But in chapter 14, he shows that speaking in tongues is one of the lesser gifts. Far more important is edification or teaching. Here's how he concludes it in verses 18 and 19 of 1 Corinthians 14. I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Even in that miracle working age, speaking in tongues was a lesser gift. Now look down to verse 22. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Then in verses 27 and 28, Paul gives a direct commandment concerning the matter of speaking in tongues. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. And here's the direct commandment that says that men must not speak in tongues unless there's someone that knows the language and can interpret. How far is that from those who speak an unintelligible jargon and claim its tongues? And then they say there's no interpretation that's possible or desirable. And then we need to point out one other thing. The Scriptures never use the expression unknown tongues. And yet that's something that is 
often used by those who believe this miraculous gift is still available. The Bible never uses that expression. If you're looking at a King James translation, when the King James Version translators used it, you see the word unknown in there. The word unknown is in italics. When that word is in italics in the King James text, that means it is a word that was added by the translators. It's a word that was added because their thinking was it would smooth out the thought process. In the original manuscripts, there is not a word used that means unknown tongue. It's not there. The tongues that were spoken by first century Christians were languages. Languages capable of being understood. The requirement was placed on those exercising this gift of providing an explanation along with the speaking in tongues. I want to say this as kindly and as lovingly as I know how to say it. With all the love that there is in my heart. But I don't want to be misunderstood. Those that feel that they are able in our day and age to speak in tongues are mistaken. The early Christians who had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and on whom the apostles had laid their hands were able to do it. It cannot happen today. In a period of emotional excitement, it may be possible for folks to lose so lose themselves as to utter meaningless sounds in a semi-hypnotic state. But to claim that that is identical with speaking in tongues of the Christian era is far, far from the truth. The purpose of this kind of miracle has long since ceased. And the practice has long since become obsolete. And in the first century, Even then, speaking in tongues was not considered as important as faith and hope and love. People today need to turn to Jesus Christ and turn their attention to the qualities of Christ and display the qualities of life of Jesus in their lives. And not be concerned with a spiritual gift that we all came along about 20 centuries too late for. Jesus has not changed His terms of pardon. He's not changed the way that He wants us to live. When He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, that's the same truth today as it was then. And when Paul said, Now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. That hasn't changed either. 
the Lord's invitation is yours as we stand and what we sing. When Jesus comes to reward.